I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message, and they will get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. And also check out old archive shows as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see everybody. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. Everybody got all their taxes done, in, oh. done, tickety I paper filed mine wow. on Monday, dropping them into the mailbox. Oh, did you owe tax? That is old school. I had to write a check for $110. See, that's, that's like, like a, perfect. Wow. That's a perfect scenario <laughs> for you, though, isn't well, it? Well, you know, $1,999. I think better. In case you don't know, we have two different financial uh, opinions here on getting money back or yes. not getting money back. Yes. And I'm sure they'll allow Mine worked more. out fine. Actually, it was probably a bit of a, it, it's never exact science, trust me. No. <laughs> How are you supposed to go on vacation with $199? <laughs> Can you get a TV? No, I had to pay. Yeah. I had to pay. Uh, oh, man. Even worse. That's it. All right. Talking with your kids about money, always an important issue. Yeah, as usual, you know, I, I often think about uh, topics for our show after speaking with clients or speaking mm. with friends and what seems to be coming up for the week. And uh, and this week, it, it was all about uh, our children and their money. Yeah. And, you know, th- and it was everything from young children to children that are now have their first jobs to mm-hmm. children, uh, you know, young adults that are now in university. Yeah. And so there was really kind of two camps that were happening as I kind of observed this conversation and camp one was uh, and I kind of fall into this camp, which I call it the three strike rule. Mm-hmm. And the three strike rule is, listen, we're going to tell, we're going to, like we tell you about everything. We're going to yeah. tell you about how to eat properly and how to sleep properly yeah. and how to look after you. And we're going to talk to you about money. But until you actually make some mistakes yourself and you figure it out, yeah. you're never going to learn. Yeah. So I believe in the three strike things. And the sooner it happens in their life, yeah. the better, because they got a chance to fix it. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as an egregious uh, amount of money that they might lose if it was a credit card they got into trouble with, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So I'm on the three strike rule. The other camp was were parents that were trying to insulate their kids from all of that and literally were taking their paychecks yeah. and then allowing them or doling out a small amount to their children to actually spend. Okay, so this is the these are the ones that right. are working now, and even like the government, isn't it? <laughs> to take our paycheck and give us a little bit back. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, elected or not elected yeah. government, so, dictator. Uh, you know, there were certainly pros and cons to both, and in in, a, in, a, in that second camp where they were taking over the money, you know, these were kids that now had saved eight thousand dollars towards their education or mm-hmm. were paying for their education, so they were they had money. But as far as their own personal financial habits, I'm not sure how much they were learning. Right. All right. Yeah, but we'll, doing, we'll because see. Because they were doing it for them. They were doing it for them. Right. So the jury's kind of still out on this grand experiment. So, but I did a little bit of research and thinking about ways to talk to our kids about money. And so I wanted to share six ideas with you while, while we get started here. So number one is mistakes that you've made with money. Mm. Okay. Again, learning from mistakes is a great way, right? It's kind of the hard and fast rules. Uh, But kids love to hear about their parents' mistakes. That's a good point. And so, and it's not just with a smirk. So if you think about it, uh, it lets them know that it's okay not to be perfect. 
And so potential examples that you might want to share with them here is, you know, oh, you know, I waited too long to start my RSP. Mm -hmm. I wish I had started saving earlier. Uh, Or, you know what, I had a guy got into trouble with a credit card. I was maxed out and finally I got it paid off and straightened myself around. Um, You know, or I wasted money. I splurged and bought something Mm -hmm. that later on I regretted regretted spending money on. Yeah. Um, number four, I waited way too long to talk to Andy and Don. I've heard that one so many times. <laughs> where are you? Where were you in my life earlier? Actually, we, funny enough, we do hear that a fair bit though. Yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, so that's number one, mistakes, sharing those mistakes. Number two is how you earn money and use it. And I think that the reality today, and this certainly not when I grew up, but in the, in the era of direct deposit, online shopping, you know, your debit cards, plastic cards, the exchange of goods and services, like even- Yeah, um, barter. Yeah, Yeah, barter or even, uh, you know, Kijiji or Mm -hmm. money, interact transfers. You don't actually, you know, you don't get the feel of that money in your hands for the exchange of goods and services. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit, it's a little bit odd. So I think talking to your kids about how hard you're working to earn a paycheck that we can then turn around to buy food, to pay for our home, to buy clothes and keep the car running, et cetera. I think that's important to have that discussion about Mm -hmm. how hard work it it is involved in terms of maintaining that lifestyle and, and where it comes from. Okay. Number three is being a media critic. And again, sort of in this virtual world that we live in, our kids are inundated with information about, uh, you know, what's on their smartphone apps, websites, and there's even product placements in TV shows now Mm -hmm. all the time. So just having a discussion with them and pointing out the differences between what's an advertisement versus what's an actual show. And just, and I think teaching them to be skeptical about promises and advertising, uh, you know, basically they're all they're all trying to get us to spend their our money yeah, yeah. so just reminding them that that's the purpose of the advertisement yeah, yeah. is to spend our money so being a media critic i think is number 3 and it's an important factor as well uh number 4 planning for big goals so there's a point at some stage where your kids are going to ask for something expensive mm-hmm. and it's all going to be relative. Maybe it's their a first bicycle or maybe it's a computer or something that yeah. maybe it's a smartphone today. I was just about to say phone. <laughs> they cost a lot. And I think um, the best way to do this, especially with younger kids, is if you can get them to draw a picture of what they want and then building a little framework around that is what are the things that they could possibly do to save mm-hmm. and what could we do even as a family to save towards getting that goal. So an example might be, you know, a picture of we're going to, uh, we're going to save on electricity, turning off mm-hmm. the lights, you know, turning off uh, that gray power, you know, things yeah. that are just, you know, saving electricity, mm-hmm. saving hydro, saving water, yeah. all of those things that can help contribute. Maybe it's um, saving gas, walking to work or mm-hmm. walking to school or biking to school instead of getting driven to school. Uh, maybe it's saving lunch money, you know, bringing your lunch instead of spending money on lunch, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So get them to draw pictures of some of the Maybe options. a picture of them mowing the lawn. That could be it too, right? <laughs> I agree. These are all great ideas, yeah. right? So now yeah. they have a flow chart kind of looking at what can I be doing to get to this goal that I want to get uh, achieve. Um Number five, how to use credit cards and bank accounts. And, uh, you know, I guess, and this is true for adults too, and we've talked to adults even this week where we see that people aren't paying off their credit cards on a monthly basis. But kids, more importantly, getting them in that that framework that you always want to pay off the balance. Mm -hmm. The minimum payment is not just, it's not, I know it's the requirement. Yeah. 
but that is not the game. Yeah, right? It's the not game permission is, to spend. No, it's yeah. not permission to spend. And how too many kids and young adults are living their lifestyle off of a credit card balance, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so completely wrong. It's a bad, bad habit to right. get into. We're actually seeing a lot of people, not only the kids, but it actually seems to be getting into the 40s. Um, and perhaps it's with the housing prices and maybe mm-hmm. they're kind of bit off more than they can chew in terms of not realizing the cost going up front. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know is their credit cards. We're seeing people with credit card balances in, in the 25,000s. Yikes. And uh, obviously at 19%. Yeah, um, that's ugly. Plus, you're not exactly being a good role model for the kids that Andy's talking about right <laughs> now. Right now, now really. Yeah. <clears throat> and number six, finally, is being assertive. And, uh, and I've got a funny story to tell you about this, but be really what being assertive about is, is letting your kids overhear you calling one of your service providers or a company that you're dealing with Mm. and demanding either better service or a cheaper cost. Yeah. Let them hear you negotiate that. What are the words you're using? How Mm. do you say it? What's your tone, et cetera. And help, it helps them, it helps them practice too in the future about when they have their first job or asking for an increase from a babysitter or asking for an increase for mowing a lawn or asking Mm -hmm. what are the words you should use and how should you frame that? And, uh, you know, my, my daughter came back from the mall a couple of years ago and, uh, she was kind of in tears or upset. And what are you upset about? She said, I've got, I got pulled over in the middle of the mall by someone selling hair straighteners. They sat me down and they convinced me to spend a hundred and she's a student to spend $120 on a hair straightener. And she said, and they said, it's a a final, all sales final. I can't take it back. So I put on my suit and tie. I got her to get dressed up. We walked back in the next day with the receipt and we, in front of everybody, yeah. went through the whole thing in, yeah. in, a, in a, an assertive way, yeah. and we did get our money back. Good for you. But it was a really important lesson that, yeah. you know, A, you know, how to say no to people when you're accosted like that, and mm-hmm. B, is there a way to get out of it? It's almost like a timeshare. <laughs> <laughs> timeshare in the mall. Yeah, how that happened? I think there is a 48-hour grace period after yeah. these, uh, <laughs> these sales, um, because they're off-premise, they're not in a store per se, or right. and you didn't go there. They kind of got to you first. Right. So they yeah. got a cooling off period, and it does seem to, uh, I guess you did it within 24 hours, Andy. So we were yeah. good. Good yep. for you. Anyway, so there's some ideas for you talking about your kids to about money. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, you go from that, and, and habits start so early when you, you know, starting to save money, and they learn from parents predominantly. Yeah. And I don't know how many times Andy and I say, don't you teach a class? Like you should come into the high schools and talk. Mm-hmm. And we have done that occasionally. Um, certainly we'd be happy to do that more often. And mm-hmm. having a financial planner take an hour and talk about money and savings is a phenomenal idea. Um, because, you know, you think about all the other stuff you do learn at school. Yeah. <laughs> well, many have talked about it. I mean, it's been a hot topic lately. A lot yeah. of, uh, of schools have talked about introducing this sort of thing now. And it's... Uh, you know, and student debt, I think, is a lot to do with it because yes. they, they oh, have absolutely. a problem they've got to manage now. And this is practical. This mm. is something you're going to be using for the rest of your life. So, yeah. And people are habitual. So you think about most of people's days, over 80% of what you do in a day is habitual, yeah. whether it's the time you wake up, what mm-hmm. coffee, what hand you drink your coffee, yeah. what sock you put on first. Yeah. Everything's habitual. And people go in auto automatic yeah. mode. And money management is just that way itself. Mm. So... A good example yesterday as I had an appointment, and even though these people had increased in incomes over the last five, six years, um, and less expenses, mm-hmm. their savings stayed exactly the same. And it's it's funny because you don't 
But boy, were they happy. Oh, they had some good times <laughs> and, and some new toys and this. But it, it's interesting. If you if if the hydro bill went up. Yeah, good double, point. Yeah. Okay. You don't say, well, I'm not going to use hydro now. It's too expensive. Um, you just have to pay it. And it was interesting. We went through a lot of the expenses that went up. And, of course, they paid it no problem. Yeah. And, and habitually, people are very good at paying their monthly debts. Mm-hmm. The one savings habit, and I know we've said it from day one, is pay yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know, I owe Scott Thompson X amount of dollars every month. Mm-hmm. And you do it. Yeah. And, in fact, you'd almost feel guilty if you didn't. Yeah. But the hardest thing to start is starting. Mm-hmm. It's just doing the very first one, whatever the amount is. It yeah. could be hundred dollars, could be two hundred. Yeah. But at least you got their foot in the door, and then you have something to build from from there. Mm-hmm. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com, all one word. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Phone line now. You can call 905-529-7165. Just leave a message. They will get back to you. And you can always check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can find old shows there and as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Advice for first-time home buyers. It's the season, boy. This is is where it all starts. Yeah. Spring is... Uh, usually uh, the hot time in terms of real estate. And it's kind of funny you say that because we've it doesn't seem to have been cooled off at all over the yeah, winter. Yeah, really. It's uh, been one of the hottest real estate markets, period. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, um, they did a poll on Ontario millennials and how they felt about you know their knowledge level in terms of buying their first house. 12% felt very confident they knew everything they needed to know about making a good decision. To make it even worse, the flip side... 47%, so almost half, did not have any confidence at all or had very little confidence. And so here they are getting into the biggest purchase of their life and half the people have really no clue right? or very little confidence. And so it's, it's almost like faith and, and hoping it works out. And it's it, unfortunately, numbers are an exact science and paycheck in, pay out to mortgage payments, yeah. etc. So what are the real costs? You know, and if you're if you're currently renting, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You got your rent, you got your mm-hmm. hydro, you got your cable and uh, cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have a house line anymore, so they yeah. just got their cell phone. All of a sudden you buy a house. Well, now you have a mortgage payment. Everybody knows that. You have your property taxes. Okay. Heating and hydro might have been higher than where you had been renting before. You know, often it is. It's usually ups, up, upping uh, the ante a bit. Often the one that gets a lot of people that they kind of sneaks up to them is the condo fee. Yeah. You know, that one's a big one. That's almost like another mortgage payment, yeah, depending on where you go. Mm-hmm. And then there's just general maintenance. Because if you're renting a place, normally you don't have to worry about a thing. You know, the, the landlord yeah. has to look after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you now own it. So, you know, the scratches here and the paint there and, you know, you got other stuff to look after. Yeah. Um, and that's if it's a condo. If it's a house, then you have to look after everything. Yeah. But then you don't have a condo fee. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I took an example, and let's say you got about a $600,000 house, condo, semi-attached, whatever it is, and you put $100,000 down. So that's a pretty decent yeah, down payment. Sure. But it still leaves you with a $500,000 mortgage. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there with half a million dollar mortgage, which seems small these days. Yeah. Okay, there's so many six-digit mortgages or seven-digit mortgages these days. But what would it be? So if you got a mortgage at 3%, 
five year locked it in. Thought, okay, that way I know what I'm getting. Your mortgage payment, without any taxes or anything, just the mortgage payment would be two thousand three hundred seventy one dollars a month. So right out of the gate, and that's often where people simply look at that. Yeah. Says, well, I'm paying twenty five hundred bucks a month in rent. So I can afford the mortgage payment, mm-hmm. and that's twenty three. Call it twenty four hundred. So I'm still better off. Sure. Well, what about what about the taxes? Oh yeah, well, quick, throw the taxes in. Well, it's three hundred bucks out of thirty six hundred dollar um, property tax, mm-hmm. which again is probably on the light side. Yeah. Okay, it could easily be five grand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find Hamilton's a little bit more expensive, uh, mm-hmm. say than Burlington. So to go five grand or four hundred a month, forty eight hundred a, a year, that's pretty normal. Um, heating and hydro, you're probably going to bump that up a bit. And so let's say that's 200 bucks a month. Condo fee, if you happen to be in some type of condo unit or, or a townhouse unit where there's a condo fee, $400 is very common and up. Yeah. Okay. That's a huge amount. That is. People don't realize that. That's, uh, and, and I've heard them up to 800 Yeah. So, and, and that actually quite often hurts the resale value yeah. of your place on the way out trying to yeah. sell the place. So you dr- the condo fee is something that you really have to pay attention to. Then general maintenance, probably let's add another hundred bucks a month for just you know fun. <laughs> okay, there's always something you have to do. And now all of a sudden you're up to thirty four hundred dollars a month after tax money. Mm-hmm. So thirty four hundred dollars a month. How much do you need? This is after tax. So mm-hmm. how much of a paycheck do you need in order to pay, make? to pay just, just to live there. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't assuming you have cable. Yeah. Okay, this is simply to live there. And you would need a 50,000 a year income mm-hmm. simply to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you had no, if that was your income, all your deductions, low, you basically you're one of the lower tax brackets. So if, let's say your partner or spouse made 50 grand, you know you're, at least that's covered. Yeah. And then everything else can go for food, transportation, etc. Mm-hmm. Well. That's one part of it, but quite often we're finding is, is these people buying the first house, it's not their only debt. They come in with some baggage, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so you look at, do you have a car loan or even a car lease? Mm-hmm. And if it's a lease, you're probably looking at 600 to 700 a month. Um, student loans, I know they're tax deductible, but boy, you know, they, they, they last forever. Yeah. And that could be another $100 or more a month. And then there's line of credits. You know, you may have already taken a line of credit, pay off a credit card, and maybe you have credit cards. So you have to look at all your debt and add that to this big decision. And it's interesting how kind of easy it's getting for, you know, people to get mortgages. Yeah. Even though they have all this. Easier than finding the house, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask Home Capital Group. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> how easy it is. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're in a little bit of trouble right now. <laughs> Um, you know, their job, home capital for the listeners that don't understand, they, they're basically an alternative lender mm-hmm. that uh, they may have been turned down by the banks. Right. So they would lend to right. those people and uh, they have a, a whole whack of mortgages out there. And uh, I guess they got some financial difficulty in the past week and all the depositors, about uh, 85% of all the depositors took the money out and they now have to get a loan yeah. <laughs> to about $2 billion to cover it. Yeah. So Sorry, the- I'm just, and I'm just interrupting on this because I was thinking about, uh, I was driving home from the show here the other day and right at the corner of Dundurn and King, there's a sign on the, on a lamppost there. And I took a picture of it. It says home equity loans, no credit check, no income check, 
call 1-800-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. <laughs> Wow. 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 What is going on? Anyway, sorry. And, and a great point, Andy. And, and you go back, does that not sound a lot like the crisis we had in, in uh, 2008, 2009 mm-hmm. and the home crisis? Mm-hmm. They had the things back then called ninja loans, Yeah, which That's really right. was an acronym for no income, no assets, no, no job, no assets. No problem. Ninja. Yeah, no problem. There you go. Here's some cash. And so there, there's a lot of very good lenders out there that will be happy to lend to you, but you're now stuck with perhaps buyer res- buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. And do I really, can I afford this? Yeah. Um, you might be able to, but all, all I'm saying is be careful, go through these things. Because then there's other expenses that a lot of people just don't even take into account. These are your normal expenses month to month. What about the ones right up front? What about appraisal fees? What about provincial taxes? Mm. Um, land transfer taxes yeah, is a big. whammy. Uh, mm-hmm. One's in Toronto. I don't know what they are around here, but it's a percentage. You hit twice, I think. Oh, are you getting yeah. it both? Yeah, it's it's huge. Yeah. I, I had one uh, client pay over $100,000 in a land transfer tax. Wow. Nice. Okay. Holy and, smokes. You know, you think about it, that's just a pure tax. Yeah. And, and, you know, quite frankly, this is where, I, uh, you know, the governments have been, uh, you know, missed wanting to see, okay, uh, let's just let, let this go for a little longer, this housing boom, because... We're getting a lot of money in land transfer taxes yeah, yeah. because the higher the value of the price, the yeah, house, yeah. the more tax they get. Sure. So really wasn't in their best interest to uh, kind of stop this. Legal fees, that can be usually a, mm-hmm. you know, a couple grand. Inspection fees yeah. before you buy it. There's often, a, it's another kind of a mortgage loan insurance. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have 20% down, mm-hmm. in, in this case, actually, it wouldn't quite be 20% down. Mm-hmm. So he, you would have mortgage insurance on top of that. Um, mortgage costs. Also, just insurance for your per, your uh, your unit now. Yeah. If you're renting before, you only needed tenant insurance. Yeah. Well, now you need house insurance. Yeah. And the difference goes from about ten dollars a month to about eighty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Okay, big difference there. And then usually there's some immediate things that you need to get fixed up that just weren't to your liking, and call it some little renovation costs. Anyway, put all those into a budget. Have have some um, foresight on what this is because what's happening now is they're auctioning off houses and you get so into it. Yeah, you get caught up. And next thing you know- It's, it's an emotional decision. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. The next thing is, oh my God, what did we just buy? <laughs> Donnie, you're, Don's the doggy downer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, before you think about buying a house, these are all the things you're going to have to pay for. Oh, well, what's the yeah, point? Yeah. yeah, no way. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeez. Sit down with a financial Pop buyer. my balloon. And, and you got to think how this is all going to change. When interest rates start to go up, I oh, mean, yeah. mm. the, you know, the situation right now is prime for the buyer because of the, the the interest rates. But think of when those start ticking up, the added cost that's going to that be that pushes over the ledge. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, and and the rate of return of houses in the last since nineteen thirty four has been about the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they average about three and a half percent a year. Inflation is average about the same. It's it's not 33% a year. No. Okay. So, and you got to think it's not based on the average wage increase is certainly not that. No. Nothing else is like that. Yeah. And this is simply a demand, supply, demand issue. Yeah. And we're living in- Some say self-inflicted. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look, and, yeah. and they're trying to do things. I, I like what some of the government uh, changes, a little long yeah. overdue. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for buy, foreign buying tax. Yeah. Um, even the home capitals, the, these lenders- not, never mind the salespeople. Yeah. In creating this kind of yeah. a, you know, big auction yeah. of emotion. So, yeah. you know what? It's always better to step back, as Andy said in 
in his in her in his hair straightening example okay <laughs> this is just a lot bigger and yeah. you teach your kids earlier on these uh, these type of things make sure it's not emotional don't get pressured all these mm-hmm. well then you look at your biggest purchase in your life and you think oh what am i got myself into here yeah um so then you also have to look at okay i'm i'm definitely going to buy this it all works out well what's uh what's the mortgage which type of mortgage should i get should i get a a fixed five-year or should i go variable it's always a crystal ball one that one you know we we've talked about it yeah. as long as we've been doing this show exactly. scott yeah yeah for years and uh right now um i'm looking at five-year close you can get them in that 2.7 range mm-hmm. and that's about the prime rate mm-hmm. and i know the variables are about maybe prime less 0.2 yeah so maybe 2.5 mm-hmm. so there's only a point of 0.2 difference now yeah. from locking up for five years versus a variable mm-hmm. and for that insurance yeah i'm knowing i don't have to worry about any massive increase in my my house payment per month mm-hmm. i personally would go five years yeah but that's just my opinion mm-hmm. um I, nothing better i think for knowing that at least you know that that part of your house costs is stable. Yeah, yeah. You may not realize your roof is going to collapse and you're going to mm-hmm. need a new roof. You may not know a lot of other things about your house, yeah. but at least you know your payment on your mortgage is the same. Good point. Um, especially for a first time home buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, other fin- financing options is uh, is how do you come up with a down payment? Well, you could get use the home buyer's plan, which is uh, you know twenty five thousand dollars for that first time home buyer out of your RSPs. So you can both pull out twenty five thousand and repay that back over 15 years. It's not my favorite choice to pull money out of the RSPs to do it, but it is a way to get in the market. Mm -hmm. And it's so difficult now, um, and it might be the best way to go. Mm -hmm. But I do look at it and say, you got to think you are pulling money out of an investment and you're buying another investment. And, you know, the investment you're pulling out, a lot of people, well, it's free money. It's it's out of my RSP. Mm -hmm. Well, yes and no. It's your your money in your RSP is making money too. Right. So, uh, I looked at this and said, well, what if you just left your money twenty five thousand dollars, and just left it there? You're thirty years old, bought your first house, and you didn't need the twenty five thousand. You found another way to do it, and you left that twenty five thousand at six percent. And by the time you're sixty five, how much money would you have? Well, it turns out that twenty five thousand would grow to one hundred ninety two thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's say you you use the home buyers. And you pay it back $1,666 every year. Mm-hmm. And you never miss one. Mm-hmm. And you pay back the loan and then let it grow to 65 in the same example, you'd have $124,065. Mm-hmm. So the cost of using the home buyers turned out to be $68,000 mm-hmm. in lost RSP growth. Right. And you think of that and you say, okay, well, if I got 5% of that, that's another... Uh, uh, $3,500, that's $300 a month of my pension mm-hmm. missing. Okay. Now that's also a perfect example. That's if they paid it back every year. If you ever miss a year, what happens is that $1,666 is now added to your income. Yeah, it comes out. Yeah. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. And this is where I look at, it might be a good thing to use mm-hmm. your home buyers is if you're saying, okay, my spouse is going to take uh, five years off to raise the kids. Well, why not just not pay it back during those years mm-hmm. because it's added to his or her income. Right. And it's ad- they're, they're not in a taxable situation. Mm-hmm. So you pull it out of the RSPs, literally tax-free. Yeah. And I've had some people that were paying it religiously because they thought it was like a, a speeding ticket. They had yeah. no choice. Yeah. 
And in fact, it was the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's better to not pay it back and actually put that into the kid's education. Right. It would be a better route to go. So those are some of the things for, for uh, houses. The last thing I'd like to discuss is, uh, is the other option that people are getting into are rental properties. Mm-hmm. And all those things I said about buying your first house also applies to the rental property. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea right now, and I had a question just last week. You know, I'm, my kids are going to Simon Fraser University. I'm, you know, I'm, instead of wasting my money on rent, maybe I should buy the place there yeah. and rent it out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, again, everybody seems to have this recency effect of real estate rising. Yeah. And it's been going up both in the Vancouver area and in the GTA. And it's funny, if, if you're, they're going to school in, say, Ottawa, would they be saying the same thing? Where there's been zero growth yeah. in the real estate market for basically five years. Yeah. But we're, we're seeing the growth here, and that creates this almost pent-up demand because yeah. it's going up. And everybody wants to buy when it's up. Which just fuels it. Exactly. Yeah. It, keeps, it keeps fueling the fire. So you have to look at what's your break-even point on a rental property. Be careful of those big costs. Um, then, of course, tenants. Mm-hmm. And what happens if, uh, can you afford if you don't have tenants for three months? Yeah. While you're either not able to get a tenant or having to fix it up because of the previous tenants. Mm-hmm. And even if you do everything right... My daughter uh, has a place in Toronto and not, no fault to her own, but the people above her had a leak. Yeah. I think the dishwasher leaked and it mm-hmm. kept going and going and going. Well, it came right into hers, right. wrecked all their floors. Yeah. And then there was mold issues, nothing to do with the landlord at all. But here's a landlord thinking he's got a nice investment. Yeah. He now has to f- hassle with insurance Tear companies, yeah. get new floors, mm-hmm. get everything, lose months rent unless he can claim back from the insurance company. Even if, he, even if it didn't cost him a penny and insurance covered all of it, which is unlikely, it's still the hassle. Yeah. And you now have a part-time job. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't do it. I just like to show, every, I find most people are talking about the positives all, yeah. only. I just like to yeah, check out the other side. Yeah. Balanced approach. It's yeah. more work than you think. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there and listen to old shows. Or, of course, give them a call, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Uh, we're talking about working past 65. Is anyone here going to do that? <laughs> oh, you never know. Hey, what about Freedom 55? Is that still on the table? <laughs> you know, I think it's just in the name of a That's company coming up now. quick, isn't it? Exactly. I think it is. I've seen it on the side of a building somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's no longer a, a, a strategy. A plan, yeah. Yeah, as much as it is a brand. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Well, this age 65 thing is is specifically about Canada Pension Plan. And Canada Pension Plan is a is an interesting beast because it's kind of this dark hole mm. where, every, where we're pouring money into it all the time. And who even thinks about it other than it comes off your pay? But nobody ever kind of, when do you start to think about, how, should I take it? And then that whole discussion starts, yeah. with the, which is a whole nother dark hole of, of what ifs and combination of possibilities. Um, so one of the oddities that we uncovered when we were looking at Canada Pension Plan is uh, when you wait till after 65. Because when you wait till after 65, your pension is maxed at 65, so you're going to get whatever you're entitled to. But then beyond that, it goes up by 8.4% per year. You get a 42% increase if you wait to age 70. Mm-hmm. 
So, but what happens if you work between 65 and 70? Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to run you through a quick example of where this is a bit of an oddity. So let's take uh, two seniors, uh, Fred and Barney. And they've, uh, they've decided that they both, they both started work at the exact same time at age 23 and they worked right up until age 65. Mm -hmm. They both contributed the entire time to Canada pension plan. And so it works out that both Fred and Barney are entitled to the maximum Canada pension plan, which for 2017 is about $1,114 a month. Mm -hmm. So here's where the paths diverge. Fred decides he's going to retire at 65 and get serious about his golf game. And so he doesn't need his Canada pension plan. So he decides to defer it until age 70. And because of that increase of 42%, by age 70, his pension is going to go from 1114 to $1,582 at age 70. Now, Barney decides, you know what, forget about golf. I'm going to keep working, keep engaged. He decides to continue to work mm-hmm. right up until age 70. And just as, just as uh, Fred had done, he decides to defer his Canada pension plan to age 70. And the difference is, is because Barney's still working, he has to contribute to Canada pension plan right. between age 65 and 70. His annual contributions are going to be $2,564 a year up right up to age 70. So basically Barney will have contributed almost $13,000 more than Fred by the right. time they're 70. And in spite of that, Barney ends up with the exact same pension as Fred, $1,000. because that's the maximum. You can't get more. Hmm. So now we have a weird oddity where we've got two people, age 65, deferring their pensions to 70, one working, one not. They're both going to end up with the exact same amounts of Canada Pension Plan, despite the fact that the working one contributed another $13,000. And uh, so... The, 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 it's fascinating to me that, that he worked five years longer, no increase in his Canada pension plan. And uh, now it would have been a little bit different if both Fred and Barney had decided to start their Canada pension plan at age 65. Mm-hmm. So they would have each got the maximum, 1,114. And then Barney's, because he continued to work, would actually have accrued more pension credits for the next five years. Right. And so he would actually get another $197 a month. But if they both- but still not case, as much as he contributed. No, yeah, no. So it, it's it's one of these odd scenarios where we're, we're trying to figure out what is the government actually trying to do here? Yeah. Is this just a mistake where they haven't quite figured out what the numbers are doing now? Because clearly they're trying to incent us to wait longer, Yeah, right? Wait to age 70, you get more money. And contribute or, more. And contribute along yeah. the way. <clears throat> or B- are they trying to say, you know, oh, retire earlier and take the money? So start it earlier. No, we don't. They don't really want to do that either. So I think what it comes down to is that they basically have that the legislation hasn't caught up to the realities of mm-hmm. the different Canada pension plan options. Mm-hmm. And so I guess really what they have to consider now is basically stopping contributions beyond age 65. That's the only way to sort of truly equalize what everybody's paying in and what they're getting out or make some kind of um, perhaps a refund of that contribution, depending on if they've already maxed out. So you can opt out at 65 of contributing into it. Well, if you, if you have Canada pension plan, if you are earning money, yeah, 
you have to contribute to pay, from yeah. 65 to 70. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't started your pension yet. Yeah. Right. So you're but not you taking gotta, it yet. Yeah. But you still got to pay. Yeah, exactly. So why would you then? <laughs> keep working? Yeah. Why would you keep working and paying into something well, you're going to get? I guess it, you can get it in other ways, but. Yeah. I mean, in this case, you're not, you're, you're, you're probably thinking from it's a mental standpoint. Yeah. I want to stay engaged. I mm-hmm. want to stay in the workforce. I still enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't, you know. You're still generating income. You're still generating income, of yeah. course, as part of that. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, Canada Pension Plan is one of those things where there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different um, criteria. Too many of us, you know, we're basically leaving it to the last minute, mm-hmm. kind of figure out when should I start it? How much am I entitled to? Have I been maximizing my credits? What else do I need to do to make sure I'm getting the most out of my Canada a pension plan? Should I be splitting it with my spouse? Should I not? You know, there, there are so many little nuances to even just to Canada pension plan alone. Uh, I think we, we ex- could run, we could run a whole seminar and oh, a whole absolutely. show just on Canada pension. And plan. another example, how everybody's situation is different oh, yeah. and has to be weighed accordingly. Exactly. Yep. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there or, of course, listen to old shows. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Don't forget to check out their website, andyanddon.com. And also, you can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. All right, tax season behind us, wedding season in front of us now. Yes, it's uh, we last one was on home buyers and uh, and that goes with home buying is weddings. It's a yeah. uh, uh, springtime is a huge wedding time. And that's a good investment, isn't it? Oh, fantastic investment. <laughs> a lot of memories. <laughs> you uh, you Thank can't. you for countering that, Andy. <laughs> We're just a bunch of old Scrooges here. And Andy's like, come on, guys. It's about love. <laughs> uh, you can put a price on love. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the average cost... Usually the father <laughs> can anyway. <laughs> Guess what the average cost of a wedding is, Scott? I would say average 30 grand. Wow. Did you just make this up? Nope. It is 30 grand. You know, I got a talk show. Fantastic. There you go. I talk to people. Wow. Out of the talk. For a living. I think you should do this segment, Scott. No, no. Way too early for me. You're closer to this than I am. (laughs) Well, wedding day is a day. Yeah. And it can be a very expensive day. $30,000 is the average cost in Canada for a wedding. Now, that's average. That is nuts. First of all, that's average. You got to yeah. remember, there's a whole lot of people that went way over that average. Oh yeah. Okay. There's lots that blow fifty. Oh, it's easy to do. And at the end, what I look at is, are you going to regret? Is there buyer's remorse? Okay. Could you had just as much fun and had just as much of a great wedding if you spent less? Yes. Eloped. Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, apparently, Scott says you can. Yes. Um, I'm probably at least I can. I'm not sure about the rest of the family, mm. but I can. Having said that, none of our daughters or sons yeah. are married yet, so no. it's easy for us to stay on this That's side because right. we That's haven't right. gone through this yet. Yeah. So maybe we're going to have a rude awakening in the near future here. But yeah, it's a day, and I look at uh, doing this no different than planning a trip, mm-hmm. planning to buy a house, planning your wedding. It should be a big. It's a big ticket. Thirty thousand dollars. What do you think kids are, and you, your kids are older than mine, but and they're not there yet, obviously, where they're walking down the aisle, but is their headspace still to, if you say, hey, it's a 30, 40 grand, it's a down payment on a house or a wedding, what do you want? Uh, are, are they jumping to the wedding? Because I'm hearing more and more kids are saying, you know what, 
to hell with a wedding. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to Yeah, gonna I think there money. is a, I think you're right. I think there is a trend towards that more yeah. likely a downscaled thing, mm-hmm. a breakfast wedding or yeah, um, exactly. a celebration with smaller people. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what's interesting to me is when I ask clients, you know, your, your adult, young adult children, we need to plan for a wedding budget as part of your retirement plan or financial plan. What number do you want me to add for their wedding amount? Yeah. And so often a figure of 10 grand yeah, comes up. Common, yeah. It's very common, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yet what the reality is, Don's saying we're spending 30. Yeah. So there's a disconnect here between yeah. what people think they are want to spend, but what actually ends up being spent. Maybe yeah. the stat is done by wedding planners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Let's, let's oh, um, yeah, if you're let's not spending 30, you're bit. not even average. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's a few things I would say right off the get-go is don't borrow for this wedding because that means you're starting your marriage in debt yeah you may already be starting in debt with yeah. whatever you got from before the wedding mm-hmm. and now you're going into more debt and you know just as our you know session a couple ago about the house mm-hmm. you know you might want to think should this be maybe used towards a down payment on a house mm-hmm. that we're going to have for the rest of our lives yeah rather than the wedding day and i'm not saying all 30 but if we can say, well, if we can shave 10 off that. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can shave 30 off that, Scott. Yeah. No, but if you can shave even 10, yeah. what a difference $10,000 makes yeah. when you go to buy that first house. Yeah. It can, make the, it can be the difference maker. Or you can just blow it on the honeymoon. <laughs> uh, yeah. And somewhat memorable, I'm sure, there too. But, <laughs> but how, you know, how much debt? So you really need to go through a financial plan. I have done this recently with a client. They got married uh, oh, about six months ago. And they sat down with me. It was a client's uh, son and the mm-hmm. daughter-in-law-to-be. And we went through everything. And it was the first time they went through a joint budget together. And what a great time, first of all, to put all yeah. the cards on the tables based on the divorce rate on financial matters. Are they still together? They are, <laughs> happily. And actually, they, they budget for a house, bought a house, oh. and now are actually working to maybe move up to a different house. Oh, good for So they're doing very well. But th- the whole point is, so having that meeting, so it's non-emotional. Because, mm-hmm. gosh, if you think house buying is emotional or you got to think wedding planning is emotional. Yikes. That's got emotion written all over it. Yeah. Okay, for at least some people. Uh, not Scott. And no. Probably the other two in the room here. But <laughs> how, anyway. can, how can you not have the bagpiper coming down? The, you know, You've just... been to a Thompson wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so you look at how much, how much debt are you bringing in to start? How much have you saved for this? Look at your cash flow and look at the joint cash flow. And, and how much should we be saving on a monthly basis for this wedding fund? Mm. And maybe you should both put money into this mutual pot, say at a different institution, something you don't even need right now, say a credit union yeah. or, or, or a different company, just so it's separate from all your other money. Just to keep, this is definitely our wedding money mm. and we need both signatures to relinquish this. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have to look at your other goals. Is the wedding really the goal? Or is it the house after we get married? Yeah. Go, or the condo. Especially when you see that fun growing. Oh, oh. Do we really want to spend it on that or well, this? Mm-hmm. Good point. And how much work it took yeah. to build that fund. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're right. It says, wow, wedding one day, house forever. Hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How much sacrifice it took. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Big sacrifice. Um, it really is tightening the, the financial nuts and bolts about your relationship. It really brings out the honesty of uh, how much you money mm-hmm. you got or don't have. Yeah. Okay. It's always good at the bar when you first meet the person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, how much income you have or don't have. But uh, <laughs> It's just a continuing conversation. <laughs> Can I see your T4? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, beneficiaries, as soon as you do get married, you do need to look at changing the beneficiaries, um, getting a new will, changing the group insurance um, mm-hmm. on your RSPs, TFSAs, any investments you have. And the one thing I, I would look at, and I've, from personal experience with clients, do not accept money from parents as a gift. Do it in terms of a loan. Hmm. And this might sound maybe a little callous or, or possibly on the negative side, but I did have a client loan their son $50,000. Yeah. Okay, to help them buy their house. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a loan, it was a gift. Right. And they, if they had a promissory note for the $50,000, then they would have got all the money back when the divorce happened six months later. <laughs> but instead, 25000 went to an ex-daughter-in-law. Oh my. So to, it's great to be able to help out your kids, but I would recommend a promissory note. So just in case something mm. happens, then at least you get your money back. On that happy note. <laughs> All right. That, that's it. And uh, thanks for joining us for another edition of Planning Your Financial Future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister, Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. Have a great week, boys. Thanks, thanks Scott. Scott.